20 candidates over two nights. So who has the edge after the first round of debates? And how is Mayor Pete Buttigieg handling the controversy over a police shooting in South Bend? We'll hear from the Democratic candidates. And across the aisle, we'll talk with Indiana Senator Mike Braun and Congressman Jim Banks about 2020, immigration, and more. Plus, our one-on-one interview with the new superintendent of IPS. It's all ahead this Sunday in Focus. Exploring the issues that matter most in Indiana. This is In Focus with Dan Spear. And just like that, the 2020 race is off and running. Two straight nights of debates. A total of 20 Democrats looking to take on President Trump next year, including South Bend Mayor Pete Buttigieg, who was on stage with Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden on Thursday. Kristen Holmes has more. Fiery first round. You're looking at just one small part of this. I'm talking about a comprehensive rewrite of our immigration That's laws. Not true. As 10 Democratic presidential hopefuls kicked off the 2020 campaign season on the debate stage. The night's highest polling candidate on stage, Senator Elizabeth Warren, front and center, seizing the opportunity to plug her policies. Healthcare is a basic human right, and I will fight for basic human rights. <laughs> each candidate aiming to set themselves apart in a crowded field. Well, clearly I had a great night. Last night, people saw that I have strong track record of getting things done. I have the right experience. I have a strong vision for the future of the country. I'd give myself an A. Um, I wanted to make sure that I got that point across. I described why I'm doing this, who I'm doing it for, the people that inspire me, and how we're going to meet these challenges. President Trump weighing in, tweeting boring. Round two of these first Democratic presidential debates proved to be far more feisty. America does not want to witness a food fight. They want to know how we're going to put food on their table. Four of the ten candidates at the NBC News debate among the top polling Democratic hopefuls, including former Vice President Joe Biden, his frontrunner status making him a target. Joe Biden was right when he said it was time to pass the torch to a new generation of Americans 32 years ago. He's still right today. I'm still holding on to that torch. Senator Kamala Harris challenging Biden for invoking his work with segregationists at a recent fundraiser. It was hurtful. Much of the criticism was directed offstage, though, at President Trump. Donald Trump has put us in a horrible situation. He's torn apart the moral fabric of who we are. The candidates tackling a range of topics, including health care, immigration, climate change, and the economy. I would call it Medicare for all who want it. Health care is a human right, not something to make huge profits on. All right, let's bring in some of our panelists now, and we start with you, Indy Professor Dr. Laura Wilson. What were your thoughts in terms of these debates, how they may or may not reframe the race for president, and, and really uh, all of the tense back and forth that we saw. There, there was a lot of tense back and forth. I think the important thing, people who are front runners wanted to make sure they maintained where they were. And so when you looked at someone like Elizabeth Warren, uh, Bernie Sanders, Joe Biden, they had everything to lose. They certainly didn't want to. But you had a lot of people who were their first introduction to the American public and trying to get their name in there, trying to get their arguments in there. Uh, certainly having two debates, four hours, 20 right. candidates, five moderators, it's a lot to keep a- a track of. A lot to take in. Kamala Harris maybe with the line of uh, the night early on on Thursday saying uh, we don't want a food fight. I, and I, th- I think Kinda she's absolutely right. It was yeah. probably a prepared line, but it was really right. well delivered and perfectly timed. How about Mayor Pete Buttigieg? Uh, let's talk about his performance overall and also uh, how he handled this question about free college, saying it was not something he supported. I just don't believe it makes sense to ask working class families to subsidize even the children of billionaires 
I think the children of the wealthiest Americans can pay at least a little bit of tuition. And while I want tuition costs to go down, I don't think we can buy down every last penny for them. How did he look on stage handling some of these uh, topics and also really trying to uh, overall reframe the narrative after a very difficult week in South Absolutely. I, I think he gave really strong responses. And part of it, when you look at the college tuition response, he's not the most liberal candidate. And he's not competing as the most liberal candidate. That will go to Warren or Sanders. He's saying, look, this is a more moderate approach. And even though it's in the primary, so you're going to lean towards that more left Democrat, I, I think he was able to reframe the responses in a way that fit his moderate stances, but also appeal to your Democratic audience. Anyone else that surprised you stood out as a big winner or loser? Sure. I thought Cory Booker, um, Julian Castro, Kirsten Gillibrand, Kamala Harris, and I've already named four. I, right. Pete Buttigieg did a great job. I, people, to me, really separated themselves as either doing a great job or really not making the cut. And we'll see, perhaps, if, if some of those candidates do start to drop out. Thursday, we also got more reaction from political analysts Adam Wren and Abdul Hakim Shabazz to get their thoughts on the debate. Overall, I don't think there was a particular winner. I mean, because in these type of formats, with a, you know, being the first you know, sets of debates, Declaring your winner is like declaring your valedictorian in summer school. So you got to keep all that uh, in some kind of perspective. I do think Pete Buttigieg actually did handle himself well uh, on the issue of South Bend, particularly say, hey, I'm mayor, this is still kind of an ongoing investigation. I can't take sides. There were two things that struck me about his answers. Uh, one was that he actually said when asked about why his police uh, force didn't become more diverse, he said, because I couldn't get it done. Um, he took accountability for that. Secondly, the dagger look that he shot, uh, Representative Eric Swalwell, uh, you don't really see flashes of anger like that from Buttigieg, who's often kind of calm, cool, and collected. And it goes once again to when you have these types of debates and forums, you know, always assume a camera is always on you because you know that's going to be you know, with Buttigieg, the next thing people are going to be looking at and focusing on you know, over the course of the next few days and, and into uh, the Sunday Talking Heads. Uh, something else I thought was interesting, too, was the sort of the back and forth between Kamala Harris and Joe Biden. I think you, know, you and I take a little bit of a different approach. You thought Senator Harris kind of owned that sort of debate. I think Joe did a good job of sort of pushback. But as always, when you have these sort of dynamics, if you're a man, and there's a woman, you have to be very careful sort of how you respond, that you don't come across as sort of, you know, being politically abusive, so to speak. Yeah, I think uh, Joe Biden looked sort of wooden on that exchange. I think uh, Kamala Harris did a really fascinating job of pulling back on uh, the policing issue and the issue of race and really personalized it to her own story and let, know, let Joe Biden know that, number one, she didn't think he was a racist, but number two, she was hurt by his remarks on race. And I thought that was a really human moment. All right, meantime, this reaction from Vice President Pence during the Wednesday debate, who said the Democrats, quote, far-left agenda is out of touch with the American people, in his words. This week, I also spoke with two Indiana Republicans about Mayor Pete Buttigieg, the 2020 race, and some of the issues in the news this week. I respect Pete. I admire him for his service to our country. But what's becoming more and more clear is that um, the, the, a question mark of whether or not uh, Pete um, is the type of leader that can lead our country when he's not hasn't been the type of leader that can bring people together in South Bend. And the, the racial issues that they're dealing with from the police uh, shooting of an African-American has, has obviously created a tumultuous, a very sensitive situation in his community. Uh, we'll, we'll see in the days to come how he handles it. But over, over the weekend, he, di he did not have a good week. And uh, when it comes to Mayor Pete, who I think has been largely um, you know, not questioned harshly enough about his own performance in South Bend, 
which I don't think has been knocking it out of the park. You're going to have to put up with things that are out of your control to some extent in terms of the timing with what he's contending with. And I think he'll be judged by the exposure that it's giving on his own city that would be one of the simpler things to run when it comes into you know, what you're going to be doing uh, possibly on the stage he's trying to you know, get involved with. Uh, I think it'll tell us a lot about him. And uh, you know, he's going to have plenty of time to shine or show where he needs uh, improvement. Uh, and I think what he's going through currently in South Bend is you know, some of the things that do come out of left field unless you've been running your city in a way that sets you up for these kinds of problems. Uh, unfortunately, what we've heard from Democrats in this presidential race so far has been uh, about a, a growing leftward lurch of the ideology of the Democrat Party, everything from erasing everyone's college debt who has student loans in our country. But by, by the way, I had a lot of student debt when I came out of college and I worked really hard to pay it off. Everything from paying off student loans to Medicare for all, which is really really, really would mean Medicare for none and would, would um, take away Medicare from our senior citizens and those who rely on it to be able to provide it to everybody. Um, these types of dangerous policies, uh, uh, the Green New Deal, uh, taking away uh, the Hyde Amendment and allowing for taxpayer funding of abortion, restricting uh, religious liberty. I mean, that, those are the types of dangerous stances that we've heard coming out of, of Democrat candidates who are trying to appeal to the left-wing base of the Democrat Party to get ahead in the primary. Obviously, a lot of talk about immigration. Uh, there's this uh, photo that has uh, gone viral of a father and daughter uh, trying to swim across the Rio Grande River who did not make it. Are we at a tipping point in this conversation in terms of uh, the, the human toll and what we're seeing there on, on the border in terms of immigration? Um, I, Dan, I hope so. Uh, I, I hope we're at a point where Republicans and Democrats can come together to solve the humanitarian crisis at the border. Unfortunately, the Democrat bill that passed out of the House last night was a partisan, a very partisan uh, attempt to tie the president's hands when it comes to securing the border and addressing the larger issue. That's why I voted against it. Until there are the resources and Democrats get back in line with where they were on record that border security is a big deal, I don't see this dynamic changing a ton between now and the election. What was your reaction to that image and, and the way it has uh, perhaps um, changed the nature of this conversation about this well, topic? Yeah, the, the, the photo is a, uh, it's, it's a powerful photo as a father of three little girls. I mean, I, uh, it, it's, a, it's a heartbreaking photo that tells the story of what's going on at the at the border with with those who are doing who are risking their lives in this case a father who risked the life of himself and his daughter uh, to come to this country the greatest country in the world to pursue opportunities and that that gets to the heart of the matter Dan I mean our, our immigration policies in this country are backwards I don't blame the president on trying to do something to enforce uh, rules that put more sensibility into border security and of course we're going to be grappling and I think even the Democrats there are going to come forward to help on the humanitarian issues but it needs to be comprehensive I think more than 50 percent of the American public believes we do need a border that we secure and that we here in Congress do something different from what's been happening over the last four six eight years on any issue don't keep kicking it down the road 
do something. Now, across the aisle, Congressman Andre Carson said he was proud to vote for legislation addressing mistreatment of migrants on the southern border, which he called heartbreaking and wrong. The House reluctantly passed the Senate's version of that bill on Thursday. Carson also said, quote, the Supreme Court did the right thing to block the Trump administration's plan to add a citizenship question to the 2020 census. Carson, by the way, will be part of a big hearing next month on Capitol Hill. This week, we learned former special counsel Robert Mueller will testify July 17th in front of the House Judiciary Committee and the Intelligence Committee, of which Carson is a member. Up next, this Sunday in Focus, a lawsuit filed on behalf of Indiana children suing the Department of Child Services and Governor Eric Holcomb. We'll take a deeper look at what that lawsuit involves. And we're sitting down one-on-one -on -one with the new IPS Superintendent, Alicia Johnson. Stick around. We'll be right back. As Indiana has given me so much, I take seriously the responsibility to give back to the state of Indiana. Zionsville attorney John Westerkamp entering the race for attorney general seeking to win the Republican nomination at next year's convention with leading Republicans still calling for current AG Curtis Hill to step down. Meantime this week we're also sitting down one-on-one -on -one with the new IPS superintendent Alicia Johnson. Our Melissa Crash has more. Good morning. I am thrilled. It's Alicia Johnson's first week as superintendent-elect. It feels good. She says it's time to keep moving forward. My job is to make sure that everything that surrounds that classroom and that school is really setting them up for success. In her first week, Johnson already has big goals for the upcoming school year, including a new English language arts curriculum that's both culturally relevant and challenging. If students can see themselves in what they're reading and connect it to their own lives, then you can build really powerful experiences. The high school experience is also top of her list. Work-based learning opportunities for our students, um, how we continue to provide them with great supports as they're thinking about their post-secondary plan. IPS parent Anna Cheney says she's on board with the move. Education to kids that they can use right away to further their future is huge. Some parents and critics have wondered about Johnson's superintendent license. The board will make the request to the Department of Education for a temporary license as she works towards a permanent one. Over the course of, of these next couple of years in my tenure, um, I will pursue the coursework for that licensure and have already actually passed the, the superintendent's exam, if you will. IPS Community Coalition released a statement the advocacy group is made up of volunteers, parents and staff. They said, quote, we hope that she delivers quickly on the urgent need for equity within the district. It goes on to say, we hope that what is best for students and teachers will be the guide for all decisions. So we may not always agree on the best path um, to get there. We may not always agree on the path forward. But what I hope um, everyone will see is our commitment. Melissa Crash reporting there. Melissa, thanks. We also heard this week from the Archbishop of Indianapolis facing controversy over his stance on teachers involved in same-sex marriages as one local school cuts ties with a gay teacher while another cuts ties with the Catholic Church. This is not a witch hunt. We don't go looking for, for these situations. When they're brought to my attention, though, because I, as I said previously, it is my responsibility, my duty, to oversee uh, the living of the faith especially for our ministerial witnesses. Now, a number of students and alumni also gathered Thursday to protest and pray at a vigil. We've got more of that interview and more reaction on our website. The state of Indiana is facing a lawsuit filed on behalf of several Hoosier children who are suing the Department of Child Services and Governor Eric Holcomb. 
Kelly Rinke spoke with the lawyers involved and joins us now with a closer look at the case. It's been very hard to hear the stories. Nikki Gray and Melissa Keys are representing nine children who they say suffered serious physical and psychological harm while in the state's care. They all have um, a diagnosed disability. The three that our agency has particularly focused on are the three that are in residential institutional settings. She claims one of them is a 16-year-old boy who was living at a nursing home because DCS placed him there. He's diagnosed with autism and cerebral palsy. The complaint says DCS made contact with a boy in 2010 and substantiated allegations that his parents medically neglected him. In 2012, it says the boy's house caught fire because his parents' meth lab exploded. DCS removed him from the home. The lawsuit says he moved to two foster homes and then a nursing facility in 2017. Two years later, he is still there. We are most concerned about children being unnecessarily placed in institutions. Their organization and other groups together are now suing Indiana DCS, its director Terry Stigden, and Governor Holcomb. It comes a little more than a year after Stigden took the job. DCS and others in positions of power to make decisions have been aware of these problems. These are not new problems. We're going to act on these recommendations. Last year, a group released a report outlining problems plaguing DCS. Just recently, the agency said staff turnover and the number of open cases went down since then. The state's budget signed in April also gave DCS millions of more dollars to keep them from overspending. This isn't a problem that you can just throw more money at and expect it to fix. This needs a fundamental change in how services are provided. They believe caseworkers are overworked and the state fails to provide kids in its care with stable foster homes. The kids attorneys are requesting a number of changes, including more community based placements and training. We want DCS to start taking note of these problems that we're noticing and realize they are not one off issues. Meantime, this statement this week from Senate Minority Leader Tim Lannon, who said, quote, the conditions and experiences these kids have faced are disheartening, disappointing, and just plain wrong. He says this might just be the wake-up call Republican leadership needed to assure we make major changes for the protection of our state's children. Up next, we'll talk with our panel about Governor Holcomb's bid for re-election as he prepares to make it official next month. He's also getting a big contribution from his running mate. Stick around. Big contribution this week in the race for governor from the lieutenant governor, Suzanne Crouch, who transferred a million dollars to her running mate for the 2020 race for governor as Holcomb prepares to officially launch his re-election campaign two weeks from now. Back again with our panelists, Adam Wren, Laura Wilson, Abdul Hakim Shabazz. We mentioned the DCS lawsuit earlier. Overall, good week or bad week for the governor? Uh, very good week for the governor. And remember, he also raised another million dollars at that fundraiser. Suzanne Crouch's check was an additional million dollars on top of that. And if you take an extra step further, uh, remember our governor's term limited. So if Eric wins re-election, uh, technically next line would be the lieutenant governor and she can demonstrate her fundraising prowess by handing over to the governor that million dollar check, kind of sending a sign to everybody else, right. hey, come to play. That's a good point. Uh, the governor certainly will have a, a very big campaign war chest. Oh, absolutely. I, I really think it's going to be hard for the Democrats to find someone who could be a viable candidate against him. He's coming in as a really strong incumbent. He's had a great track record, minus a, a DCS snafu at the end of his first term. I think that's the only thing people could point to right now as a challenge there. So he's certainly going to come in with money and reputation. All right. We're also going to talk today here about the race for mayor. Last week, we heard from Mayor Joe Hogsett. This week, his opponent, Jim Merritt, launching his public safety plan at a news conference on Thursday, where he was asked about the potential cost. To that, I say, how can we afford not to? We must. Indianapolis 
was leading the way. We were a safe community. We need to go back there. The citizens of Annapolis deserve that. A number of shootings this past week. Adam, as crime continues to be a big issue in the race for mayor. Yeah, this was a big week for State Senator Jim Merritt. Um, it had been about six months since he had kind of a new bold solution to offer some policy. He did that this week. Uh, I was particularly struck by the laptops for guns uh, policy proposal that he had. I think that's a fascinating proposal. If he can pay for it, I think that's something that will gain national attention. Will this continue to be the top issue this year? Uh for, for now, at the very least, because we're going to the summer months, uh, the good news for the incumbent mayor, Joe Hogsett, we're about six or seven homicides behind where we were last year. But then again, a lot of that can be attributed to the areas that the Ten Point Coalition, actually the neighborhoods, they patrol. There have been no homicides in that particular area. So, But it's still summertime, and we still got a way to go. And just as the governor has a big advantage in the governor's race, the mayor certainly has a big fundraising advantage. Oh, here. absolutely. And he did when he ran first right. time in an open seat. I think crime is obviously an important issue. Fundraising is going to be critical in the campaign, and, and Hogsett definitely has that All edge. right, also talking here about that very interesting race for Congress in the 5th District with Susan Brooks stepping down. Talking about some of the names that may run to replace her. Last week we mentioned some of the potential candidates, Democrats, Christina Hale, Dee Thornton, Republicans, Greg Ballard, Mike Delph. Now another potential name, as you reported earlier this week, Adam. That's right. I'm told Steve Braun, the former um, Indiana Department of Workforce Development and Commissioner. And Mike Braun's brother. That's right, yeah. is looking at this race. And I'm told that uh, Senator Braun is encouraging him to run for Congress. So we could see the Pence brothers and now the Braun brothers in the Capitol. And Brett Braun ran in the 4th District just uh, last year. Yeah, they ran the 4th. He lived in the 5th, but they had the family farm in the 4th. Greg Ballard's sort of the same. They're about a mile Outside he of the fifth, might and, run in the fifth, but lives in the seventh. Right, and here's another name. Here's another <laughs> name. I'll, scored, yeah, I'll drop uh, on in focus. Uh, State Senator Victoria Sparks. Uh, I've been told she's yeah. been getting yeah. a lot of people kind of reached out to her. Story, yeah. And I'll yeah. add another one. Um, uh, Pete Seat, the the Republican oh, wow. uh, communications uh, operative. Um, you know, he lives um, in Whitestown, and I don't know of any other person including Governor Holcomb, who has been at more Lincoln Day dinners across the state. Over how about we do this? Who's not who's running? Not how about, how about we start I, there? I can, yeah. announce, yeah. I can announce tonight that I'm not running. <laughs> right. There you go. But you do live in the fifth. That's I right. I That's do. right. I, I, All right. We got to leave it there. We'll be back to wrap things up right after this. More coverage of the race for president on our website and coming up on Fox News Sunday and Face the Nation. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll see you again next Sunday in Focus.